0: And now, weighing
1: in, out of the blue corner,
0: Josh the Pong
1: Thompson. 100% And on the other mic, he weighs in in from the red corner, Big John McCarthy. We've decided we're not doing introductions anymore. Everyone knows who the hell you are. Everyone knows who the hell I am. So Big John, Josh Thompson, but I just introduced us anyways. You just (laughs) did it. Um, Just had to do it. Look, (laughs) what I have to do, though, is I have to sit here and and talk to you about today. Let's talk about Twitter. Let's talk about you and Ariel Hawani. Let's talk about the Chuck and Tito thirty for thirty. Let's talk about let's talk about the text exchange or just the back and forth on Twitter or whatever it was. Big John, right. Big John, break it down to me. BJ Penn dot uh, com had even posted like the whole Twitter beef or whatever it was. Just obviously, Ariel not part of this show. So, but I have you in front of me. Break it down. Tell me what, wh- what, 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 what irked you off so much for you to write a comment? Because this, ah. this is not you. This is not you. You like to give people your opinion. But this, the, oh, yeah. the way, the way it ended up transpiring on Twitter This is this is not the normal Big John McCarthy that I'm used I
0: I think I hurt Ariel's feelings, so Uh,
1: you would you wouldn't be the first one.
0: (laughs) I I don't think I am. And look, I did not. It was funny because I'm watching that thirty for thirty. I was on the thirty for thirty. I did the taping for him and stuff. And as I'm watching it, and I hear something that Ariel says that is the static line that Zufa came up with long ago of Dana and Lorenzo sit there and, and talk about, oh, we saw the UFC. We were going to the shows, and we saw this diamond in the rough, and we knew that you know they were doing things right. They were running from regulation, and we knew that if we ran towards regulation, that was the way to get this sport growing. And that's a nice story, but it's bullshit. Right. And so when I heard Ariel say, you know, the the when Zufa bought it, they ran towards regulation. It pissed me off because this is a guy that I respect. I respect Ariel. He's Mm -hmm. done a lot in this sport. But, you know, I'm just gonna be flat out flat out the way I look at it. You know, he was in journalism college when I was in court trying to save the sport, and the UFC. There's a lot of things that he has no idea that took place and people mm-hmm. that did things to help save the sport of MMA. And when you just validate, because Ariel has a huge following
1: mm-hmm.
0: and a lot of people respect his opinion, and I respect his opinion, and when he validates an absolute false a, a lie of oh the old UFC was running from regulation that was the John McCain and then the new better Zufa comes in and they ran towards regulation well both of those are just not true I'm and I'm not saying that Dana and Lorenzo did not try to continue towards working towards regulators to get you know MMA, the UFC, into more states. But I was first licensed as a referee back at UFC 15 mm-hmm. in Mississippi. That was the first time I ever had to you know, fill out an application, the first time I had to pay money for a license to get licensed by a state athletic commission because they regulated the UFC. And the reason that happened, I mean, there's a long story behind it. But yes, the UFC was in trouble. There was a lot of people trying to shut it down. They had been taken off of cable. All right. And you had a guy named Leo Hendry, who was in charge of uh, the biggest cable company provider at the time, which was part of Time Warner and it became Time Warner. <clears throat> but I actually went to a meeting in Denver, Colorado with him and presented him with the actual first set of real rules. For the sport and one of them you know he was big into you you allow groin shots because we did you allow head butting they don't they don't allow that in boxing so i brought him a, a complete you know set it was 18 fouls that were the rules of mma to try to get him to realize hey this is a real sport we are we are looking at it like a real
1: sport and this was we before the Fertitas. this is before the Fertitas? this is a this is after
0: ufc 14. okay And his statement at the time to Bob Meyerowitz, who was the owner of Semaphore, to me Mm -hmm. and to Art Davey, who was kind of Bob's matchmaker at the time, the guy who actually was the founder of the UFC, was, look, you want to get back on cable, you have to get regulated, you have to have the state athletic commissions say, don't have that done, I cannot allow you on cable. Yeah. So the first thing that they started trying to do was find a, some place where they could start to get regulated. And Mississippi was the first one, and Iowa became them. And even before Zufa was ever part of the picture, the UFC at 28 was in New Jersey. The state of New Jersey regulated it. So when you're sitting there saying that, oh, you know what made it happen is they ran towards regulation, and that was what Zufa did, when he said it, I just, man, I looked at, I'm looking at him saying, how does someone that is supposed to be a journalist, Mm -hmm. someone who's supposed to look for facts, someone that is supposed to actually get to the truth, Mm -hmm. how do you perpetuate that story? And I was wrong. I'm telling you, I know right now I should have texted him. I didn't think about it. I do have his number Mm -hmm. and I should have just texted him or called him and said, Hey man, you realize what you're saying there, but I the first thing I could think of, well, he's on Twitter and I know he'll be on it. And so I went to Twitter and I, I gave the thing and say, I can't believe someone that knowledgeable would put out that kind of statement. You know, if you don't know, ask for the truth. Yeah. And, you know, he took it wrong. He took it like I was attacking him and I wasn't trying to attack him. I'm just trying to get it to where the history has been. A lot of people have tried to rewrite the history of what really happened with the sport. Unfortunately for a lot of people I'm still around
2: and I was there
0: from the goddamn beginning and they could all tell their stories any way they want but I was there and I know and I know all the I know all the, the secrets I know all the horrible things people did and I don't talk about them because hey you know what that's life but when I have something on, and I'm watching it on ESPN And, yeah, Ariel works for ESPN. And, yes, you know, the ESPN carries the UFC, and I understand that. And this is not me being against the UFC. I'm not. I love the UFC. This is me being against someone perpetuating a myth. And that's where I got mad. So that was why I tweeted out. I didn't tweet out trying to attack him, but I think he took it that way.
1: I've had run-ins with Ariel several times, just me and myself. And he's he's confronted me several times about how, <clears throat> Josh, I know you don't like me. And it's like, no, Ariel, there, it has nothing to do with that. I think that there's a miscommunication between the fact that, like, what I don't like when you print something doesn't mean that I don't like you. And he has sometimes that kind of feel when you talk to him that the feeling is that you have to, if you don't agree with what he's saying or what he writes about you or, or your opponent or your friends, then then you automatically don't like him. And that's not true. I don't mind him. I don't mind him at all. I mean, I do understand like you have to be, I have learned to be cautious with what I talk to him about on his show or any other show that I've ever done with him. But, um, but to talk what you're to talk about what you're talking about we see that now amongst all media though would you be correct that it's good to be first and you're good to just write a retraction later on on the back page so no one understands because they're going to believe what i say the no first time no one looks time. there no one looks yeah. on the back page so he's and i'm not saying that he does that all the time but it just so happened that you caught you caught him doing it this time. Are you 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 know the history of it? He didn't know. He spoke. He Doesn't know the history. He doesn't. He know.
0: wasn't yeah. there. And and mm-hmm. there's so many things, Josh. You know, I don't talk about, mm-hmm. but I know them all. I know where all the skeletons are, mm-hmm. and that's I don't attack anyone. But there's reasons why Dana wants to have this story put forward, mm-hmm. and I don't blame him. and I'm not saying he's a bad person for doing it. It's just that a lot of it's false, and it's a story that they came up with. It's his side that he wants to perpetuate, and the MMA media continues to perpetuate that because Dana has been able to control the MMA media. He he did a fantastic job of scaring the hell out of him years ago, Mm -hmm. and he he got rid of Sure Dog, made sure no Sure Dog reporters could be at a UFC, and all of these guys started sucking up to him and so, oh, you know what? And anything he would say, that was gospel. Yep. They don't look into it. They don't check it out. They just take it for fact. Yep. And that's where I have a problem, and that's what I'm looking at. When I looked at that, I was like, you're, you're just – you're because someone said something, you're just putting it back out there. And I have to admit, I don't know the context of everything that was – you know, actually said by Ariel at that time when he was doing the videotaping of it because obviously they're asking him a question mm-hmm. and, you know, they could they can edit things and it can actually look one way when it was, he was bringing it up another. So I'm not mad at him in any fashion. Uh, he, he then brought up, well, you know, it was, you know, the whole Mark, you know, then, you know, they brought in Mark Ratner and it's like, dude, <laughs> they brought Mark Ratner in six years later. Stop. Yeah. You have no idea what you're talking about. Again, you're showing me you don't know what really occurred, and so uh, I just got—I I have this thing about why is it that the truth is so hard for people to find out? There's people out there that know it.
1: Ask them. Do you feel that it is a couple things? He works for ESPN. UFC is part of the es is part of ESPN. And he yeah, needs to provide, the he needs to provide the talking points in yes. which in which Dana has provided for all these years. <clears throat> and when he does that, you're just spewing really what the organization would like people to know about them. That's Not right. from the beginning, but from when they took over and when the success started happening. What I did like though was this is that they painted the picture kind of um after the fact. That the UFC was dead in the sand kind of thing. It was one of those things. But then, in the very beginning of the show, you have to recall we had eighty thousand pay per view buys. Then they had like one hundred and ninety or something. And then they had, then they went to like three hundred thousand or something. It was that's insane. But over three hundred. Yeah, yeah. They had over three hundred. That's in. That's insane. Considering, and I'm going to give this. We've had current UFCs that I, I don't i think it was the steven thompson and wonderboy they only did 180 or 104 something oh, like they, that oh they 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 had they've had recent ones that didn't break 100 that's insane to me yeah. to me that's insane you have current, and i know that the mar, the model of 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 uh, pay-per-view yeah, is kind of right. dying it's we're not, I'm, not, I'm not trying yeah. to compare the two oranges to apple it's like like i understand that but at that time you're talking about a relatively new sport that people just all of a sudden gravitated to it wasn't like it was a shitty sport they had a product, and they knew they had a product that they could sell. It was a matter of just doing, and 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 I did understand. I saw parts of the the when I was watching the thirty for thirty and the t, Chuck and Tito thirty for thirty. They were talking about parts where they were trying to get the regulations in certain places, and you had, like you said, John McCain, Chuck. T- you know, they
0: they brought up Chuck Tito Ortiz bought when there was no regulation yep. for the UFC. His first fight, it was at, I believe, UFC 13. That was his first fight against a guy named Wes Albrighton. Mm-hmm. All right, He didn't even get paid for it because he was a college athlete at the time. And he <laughs> said he couldn't get paid. But Chuck Liddell's first fight was at UFC 17. That was a regulated show. I was licensed. He was licensed as a fighter. He fought a guy named Noe Hernandez from Iowa and... That's all regulated. So they're showing this whole thing about back when, you know, Chuck was, you know, brand new in the UFC, it was regulated then. It wasn't that, oh, those people weren't running towards regulation because those people were running towards regulation because it was the only way they could keep the sport alive. They knew it and they were working at it. And that went all the way up. And I could tell you the dirty story that occurred in trying to get into Nevada, but you know, Lorenzo Fertitta bought the UFC. He was actually sitting on the Nevada State Athletic Commission just before that and would have voted on wasn't going to get legalized or not.
1: You figure out what happened. Yeah. And then he turned around and bought it. <clears throat> yep. And shortly after, a couple years later, Mark Ratner had left and started working for them. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of it, it's almost I, I feel I'm I'm not trying to I guess I am kind of trying to keep, put the two things. Um, the Golden Snitch worked for works <laughs> works for Usada, but that's, for some that's reason, name. yeah, the, gold, <laughs> Schaub, the Golden Snitch the Golden Snitch works for Usada, but seems like everyone seems to think he works for the UFC. You know, it's like it's kind of like that. No, he does he does work.
0: He he used to work, you know, with Usada. He works. Jeff Nowitzki works for the UFC now. Okay. he is the guy in charge of the USADA program God. for the UFC. But
1: he used to work for USADA. Yes, he's, he's, look, he's he's the
0: guy that ended up catching Lance Armstrong. So Lance Armstrong and him have a very good relationship.
1: Well, what what what, <laughs> what took what took him so long to catch Lance? <laughs> what took him that so weird, long? Yeah. <laughs>
0: It, you know, it's it's uh, no different than what's occurring now. You know, yeah. the the testing has gotten so much better, yeah. And what they can do now with it, it's it's a different story. And they finally caught up to land. Mm-hmm.
1: So you, realistically, you're just upset over the fact that the like the facts weren't portrayed in the way that they should have been portrayed, and they were spoken by Ariel. The non-facts are spoken by Ariel. And when you had contact, when you reached out on Twitter to tell him that he he was wrong, like researched a little bit more before you're a journalist. Um, To me, honestly, like I feel like even though I've, despite I've had problems with him, he's always been pretty on point with the things that he does. And the fact that him and Dana had a falling out kind of made me like him a little bit more. So, (laughs) so when he started, like, I, I see things that he does and I actually do like a lot like his show I like. I do enjoy some of his other stuff. his articles that he had originally like started on doing. Uh he's good. I, I do enjoy some of his good. content and his he's, stuff.
0: I, I honestly believe, first off, he's a good guy. I yeah. like Ariel. You know, I had there is there is no no animosity towards him yeah. at all. I like Ariel. I would do anything for him right now. He I think he's a good reporter. Mm. You know, I think he's a great interviewer. He asks good questions. Mm -hmm. I just look and say, man, if you're going to be that guy, because he's been anointed as, you know, how many times has he won the Journalist of the Year Award with the MMA Awards and stuff? If you're going to be that guy, then make sure that the information
1: that you know is right. I mean, for for Christ's sake, you work for ESPN, and you represent our sport. You're basically the, the face of, of journalism for our sport.
0: And he and, and you're right. Like he was, you know, he's he's been on the other side of Dana. He got kicked out by Dana. Yeah. You know, do you remember what that was
1: for? No, I Violin don't. Broadway. Oh, for what?
0: Yeah. We were we were at, we were at oh. UFC one ninety nine and they were hiding the fact that Brock Lesnar was gonna fight at UFC two hundred mm-hmm. and Ariel tweeted it out. Mm. <laughs> and that sent Dana over the edge. And all of a sudden, Ariel was in the parking lot at the forum in Inglewood, California. Not allowed to come back in. <laughs> and, there, and I feel
1: I feel bad for him cuz he lost a lot doing that. I talked to some of my friends at work at ESPN also and they were saying that Dana was actually trying to get him released from ESPN um when they did the deal. He I'm he, sure he, was. He, he had requested He won't forget. He had requested that do so we have to have Ariel work and cover the sport with you guys or through you guys? And they basically yep. said, "Yeah, we we have a contract with him." So, yeah, strange. Anyways, I mean, so you're not you're not you're not mad at him. You were just kind of kind of upset you a little bit, and that's kind of. I'm not goes. mad at him. No. I just
0: want the truth yeah. of what occurred to make the sport of MMA actually, you know, survive to yeah. grow. You know, there's there's a lot of reasons why it did, mm-hmm. and. It went through a lot of hard times. The fact that the internet was brand new, yeah. that's why MMA survived. That yeah. was the thing that kept it going because people could get on this computer and talk about the sport and <clears throat> say when it was going to be and all these different things. I'm not saying that regulation didn't make it grow. It did. But people kept the sport alive. It, it was the fans.
1: You People need to understand how popular the underground forums were. <laughs> yeah. back then for MMA. I mean, hey, there's a fight in Calusa in Calif- Northern California, and people are like, what's that? It's a casino <laughs> in the middle of bum-fucked Egypt. You know, remember the old Eagle ultimate-
0: Mountains got one, yep.
1: <clears throat> you know what I mean? I mean, look at Lamore. is in the middle of nowhere. So, I mean, like, <laughs> you would hear about all these things on the underground forums, you know, that were just publicly, uh, you know, you'd get over the internet. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think the sport is alive, a lot, mainly because of the internet, you know, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you're right. I just feel like we live in a society now where the, people would rather be first than right, you know, than, and they would also would rather write a retraction than be right the first time. And, um, and then a lot of the times when they work for a company, they become company people, which is fine. And But the problem is they're spewing just the punchlines. Of just regurgitated punchlines for whatever company they're working for, and it's not factual, and that's upsetting, especially from someone that you know, like Ariel Hawani who's covered a lot of top fights. You know, the Mayweather and uh, Connor fight. I mean, the like Khabib and Connor I mean, like all these big like, top fights, and it's upsetting to see someone like him not not um, do the research a little bit more to uh, back up his his uh, information.
0: Yeah, but- I just look. I just look at it. There, there's guys you know the people there's people that other people forget about and you know some of them have, are they're they're gone from us now they they've died but there were people that did a lot to help the sport of MMA actually survive yeah and when you are changing the history of it you're you are erasing those people and what they did and that's what I I can't stand
1: for i
0: 100% agree with you
1: Let's Come talk on. about uh, the fight—the fight that you wanted to talk about. Give I want
0: to—I want to talk about the Mike Davis versus Thomas Gifford fight because there was a lot of, a lot of questions, a lot of people talking about this. You know, Michael Bisping was going kind of crazy uh, during the broadcast, mm-hmm. was saying that uh, you know this isn't a fight; this is a beating. Mm. And you know, I'm not saying he was—you know—he's he, pretty right. Yeah, and. He was, he was basically saying the referee needs to stop this. And there was a lot going on there. And, you know, it's one of those situations. I feel bad for the guy who was the referee. I don't know him personally. I don't think I've ever worked with him or I've ever been in a training situation with him. But this is one of those fights where you have to understand what to do and how to do it to be successful with this kind of fight, because if you watch the fight, Mike Davis comes out and he is landing heavy shots from the very beginning. Big shots that, you know, Thomas Gifford shows how tough he is, how he's got a rock for a chin. He took some huge punches, big knees to the head and just kept on, you know, sticking in the fight. Sometimes he take one or two steps back and then start walking forward again. The kid is tough, but there comes a point where this is that whole question of yes, the fighter wants to go on. Yes, the fighter wants to finish the fight. And you'll get a lot of people saying that, oh, the fighter deserves the right to try to finish the fight. I, I wanna point something out. You know, just recently, in fact, you know, about a week and a half ago now, we lost an MMA fighter from a fight. You know, mm-hmm. Herb Dean was the referee of that fight, and I will tell you, Herb did nothing wrong in that fight at all. I don't care who would have been refereeing that fight, that kid had to come into that fight with some type of injury, he'd been knocked out, something happened in training, I don't know what it was, but he ended up dying of a subdural hematoma, and he took not even one-eighth of the damage that Thomas Gifford took in this fight with Mike Davis, Mm. not even one eighth, you know, and I, 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 it's probably even less than that. And so these are the things that can happen. And a lot of people, they start to escalate the importance of an MMA fight way beyond what it is. And this kid gave everything he could, but there comes a certain point where it is the responsibility of the referee to try to figure out where's a place that I can get this kid out of the fight. And I I can understand that the referee that was doing it never could find that place. He wasn't sure where because, you know, he doesn't want people saying that he took someone's opportunity away. He doesn't want to have it to where the fans are now booing him because he stops the fight. The UFC is upset with him because now, you know, this is his first chance at working that, you know, promotion and now he never never going to get a chance again so there's a lot riding for him too and he doesn't want to make that mistake yeah it's a lot easier for someone like you know me who's been there forever say nope this is done or do it in a way that no one understands and and i can i can point out that i've done that before i've gotten guys out of fights where the fans have no idea you know what's going on or you know you utilize the doctor in certain ways and it's actually the referees the one stopping it but you're 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 gonna use the doctor in a way to get this kid out of the fight. And the reason you're getting him out of the fight, and this is where you and I are gonna argue, so get your get your big boy pants on, because here it comes. When you're watching a fight as the referee, you should you, you start watching in this type of fight, you're watching one guy. You're watching Thomas Gifford the entire time because he's your problem. Mm-hmm. Mike Davis is you know, he's the one creating the problem, but Thomas Gifford is your problem because you don't want him to take too much. And and as you're watching the fight, you should at least in your mind have an idea of how badly is he losing this fight. Yeah. And he loses that first round 10-8. Easy. It's a 10-8 round. And he loses the second round 10-8. Easy. And, and that's with him on his feet just about the entire fight. Now, he gets knocked down a couple times, but he's on his feet most of the fight, so you can figure out that the shots he's taking are damaging. Mm-hmm. And when you watch him walk from the end of the second round back to his corner, you're looking at a guy that, you know, he's hurting. He's he's feeling it. So you gotta look and say, all right, what is best for the fighter? What is best for the sport of MMA and the promotion of the UFC? What is best for the fans? Okay. And you want to weigh all these things, but the number one you're weighing is what? what is best for the sport what's best for this fighter
1: what's best, what's best, for, best the for the UFC? what's best for the health of that athlete that's exactly
0: and so at that point i can guarantee you if i was doing the fight it would have ended between the second and third round the fight would have been over i wasn't going to let him go back out now i know he, he, his corner is mark montoya a very good trainer a good guy and he's looking at him going you know hey you know how how are you feeling and the kid's going i feel like shit do you want to fight? Yes, I want to fight. And so he's letting the kid go back out. Because the kid's not going to tell him I don't want to fight. You know, it's not something that you do. And so you've got to weigh those things out. And the, the one thing that I, I try to tell people all the time is <clears throat> I cannot show you the end result if I don't let it happen. Yeah. All right. But the end result of this fight, because they let it happen is Thomas Gifford went out on his face, knocked out by Mike Davis. And so I would have ended up stopping that fight between the second and third round. That's damage that he would never have taken. And that's what's important. Because you can tell people, look, I cannot show you what was going to happen. But in this situation, I can. Because the referee didn't do Mm -hmm. what, in actuality, he should have done. If he was a really experienced guy that understood ways of getting out of this. And, you know, this is part of the whole game. You know, fighting is different than every other sport. And you sometimes have to do things to protect that fighter, not from so much from their opponent, even though, yes, you are. Mm -hmm. You're protecting them from themselves because they're so mentally and physically tough. They will just go out there and die on their shield, you know, before they'll quit.
1: I'm not going to argue one bit of what you just said.
0: <clears throat> Damn,
1: look at that. I got it. I have done it. I have
0: brought Josh over.
1: <laughs> I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to point out my take on what you're talking about. I blame uh, first I blame first the corners. Can't. Because I, I, Go bl- ahead. I blame first the corners. The reason why I blame first the corners is that is someone that I entrust with my life. As an athlete, exactly. I don't expect... They shouldn't expect me to want to stop. I didn't train them this long for me to say I want to quit on the stool. And if my coach was to ask me, do you want to keep fighting? Every single time, that fighter is going to tell him yes. yes. Every single fucking I time. I agree. There has never been a moment in my in my, in my my corner where he, if Bob's like, he's like, do you want this? And I'm like, hell yeah, I do. Like it. It's always been something along those lines. You better go out there and knock him out. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to go out there and try. That's what I the other thing too is my relationship with Javier Mendez and Bob Cook is to the point of i I would trust them with I trust them with my life they're my coaches I, everything I've done in my life for 20 years has been shaped around them them being in my corner there wasn't I can't recall I it was it was my first fight in the UFC I didn't have I didn't have Javier Mendez but after that it against Hermes Franca, Gerald Striebrin. yep Gerald streetman very true. Um, that second fight against Hermes Franca, it's always been Javier and Bob Cook, and it was Dave, it was Dave Camarillo at the time. And then Jiu Jitsu guys came and went during that process, or Trevor Prangley came in also. But those I look at those guys is when they if they would have looked at me in the corner and said, Hey, we're calling this, and I would have looked at them and said, I can keep going, and they would have said no, I would have said, Okay. That's you have to understand that those are the people in your corner, and I'm going to give an example, Buddy McGirt. Yeah, he looked at his fighter and said, "Hey, I would rather you be mad at me for a month or two or a couple of days, than you die." It didn't it didn't help things this last time, but I mean, how many times have I've seen him stop fights from before? And yep. I, you got to say and and you got to say that that is that's the kind of person you want in your corner. If you know you can't win. If you if you've lost the first round 10-8, you lost the second round 10-8. You're you're not mounting any offense going forward into the third round. Like you haven't mounted any offense for two rounds. What makes you think in the third round it's any different?
0: And I Well, you're going to you're, you're going <clears> to <throat> always hear people say, "You never know. He could catch him." And, and in this fight, Josh, I will tell you, this kid is trying. He's trying to Iminari roll into getting into legs and every time that he actually pulls Mike Davis down on top of him. Mike Davis just obliterates him with punches. Never gets close to any type of submission. And so he shows you that he doesn't have a puncher's chance. Mm-hmm. He, he's got no knockout power ability to knock Mike Davis out. Mm-hmm. He cannot win on the scorecards. And he doesn't have what I call a submitter's chance. He can't get this kind of submission now at this point. And so all you're doing is putting him back out there to receive more damage. Mm-hmm. For another possible five minutes or that big knockout, which he took when that's all damage that you can avoid and you lost this fight. So what? Let's move on and the next one will come back and try to win.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's better to take that loss the way it was <clears throat> to take a loss like that. Then for him to go out the way he went out face down. No. The way he turned his whole body around and he went face down, oh yeah. I, and I've continued to tell people this when you talked about like he had he would roll for the MRI roll and just get smashed. As you're taking shots, for those of you guys listening at home or watching at home, I want you guys to understand this. As a fighter, the more shots you take, the less the less power you have, the less strength you have, the less your mechanics worked. The less your cardio is, the less endurance you have, all those things. It really is like a video game. When you start getting hit more, your muscle, your, your power level starts going down. And when that goes down, it does. you just keep getting your ass kicked. It doesn't get any better. It's it's very rare that it gets any better. Okay. And and, and I'm speaking from experience, and and I, I always I try to correlate like my, my experience so you guys get a better understanding that I'm not trying to be a hater towards somebody or I'm not trying to, I'm simply saying there was damage that I took in the Tony Ferguson fight and I in the first round I w- I thought the first round was close until you know we got towards the end the second round I just got annihilated the third round I felt like I was fighting in quicksand it was never the same. It was a fog. I felt a step behind. You know, but there was moments in the third round where I felt like I could have got to the back, could have not. You know, like there was things, but nothing ever really happened. Yeah. That could have been a fight that potentially could have been stopped on the stool between 2 and 3. But I kept mounting an offense every once in a while, and things were coming around. But it wasn't to the level of what you're talking about right now. And so, for people that are at home, you have to understand that it doesn't always get better. Like you're, it's very rare that you're going to see a Diego Corrales uh, Castillo fight where the guy loses his mouth. But you have to remember, up until that moment of t- round ten, or yeah, the fight was close. It was back and forth. Guys are winning. Diego was probably ahead of slightly on the scorecards. Then he gets dropped, comes back. But they were both so fatigued and things like that when they're both tired and they're both been, you know, both been dropped or rocked or sat to their butt going into the twelfth round. That could happen to either guy. But not when one guy is clearly dominating the fight. He's yeah. he hasn't been dropped. He hasn't been hurt. He hasn't any of those things. So that means his conditioning is on point. Okay, he's not as tired and fatigued. He's not a step behind mentally as well as physically. All those things, he's he's operating at almost 80, 90, 100%, whereas the guy that he just kicked the shit out of for the last two rounds in 10, 8 rounds, he's operating at, say, 40%, 50%. That's a big difference when you talk about the best guys in the world. Okay, we're talking 2, 3% is what separates those guys, sometimes less. Most of the time, less okay. When I talk about Connor and Khabib, or I talk about <clears throat> AJ McKee, or I talk about you know, our you know, Patricio Pitbull, him and the next guy below him that's fighting for the title is maybe like a one or two percent separation of who's going to become the champion, okay. But when you have a guy who is depleted that much, you're talking 20 30 percent separation. That's oh, sometimes
0: more than that, sometimes more, was than, more that. than
1: that, and that's what, and so when you're talking that type of separation. It, there's no chance. Absolutely no chance. And that's why when you said who like for me, I blame the corner because the corner needs to know your fighter. You need to know where your fighter can do. You need to understand what your fighter can do. And not to mention, that's like your son or your daughter. Well, you this should guy's, know them.
0: This guy's dad was actually in his corner. That's
1: also. even worse.
0: Yeah, that one that's the one that I look at and
1: go, man, I don't know how you could do it, dude. Yeah, that that I really that's don't. In, in, in in no way. Like and for like for me, I would look at like my son and be like, this is there's no way. I'm stopping this fight. We'll live to fight another day. Because the there other thing go. the other thing is this. It's like not so much that my son lost, is that my son maybe potentially could learn a lot from this loss train harder, do more cardio, learn the techniques better at the gym, spend you know another 3 or 4 months, 5 months getting better and refining his craft. Okay, versus getting knocked out and his chin's gone, never fighting again and will always his last memory will always be that he had a one fight or two fights and just got destroyed cuz his chin was gone. We saw it with Chuck Liddell. After he got knocked out by Rampage, it was a snowball effect. The, oh, absolutely. the things he used to walk through. You watch if you watch the Tito Ortiz and the Chuck Liddell 30 for 30 after the Rampage fight, he was never the same. It was Rampage, it was Rashad, Rich Franklin. It was all these guys. Keith Jardine dropped him. Like yep. you're, Those are things that you're talking Like He used to walk through get people's punches. Now, it's a snowball effect. And when you're talking about something like this, where he gets dropped, where his face goes down, it spun him all the way around, you don't know the kind of lasting effects that that's going to have on him for his career. He may have a shorter career because of that one fight and the damage he took.
0: Yep. Well, you know, it's funny because one of the guys that I did that with, we uh, we just had in Italy, Kirill Sedelnikov fought yes. one of your teammates, Paul Buontello. Yep. Long ago at Affliction, and if you go back and you watch that fight, I let it go a long ways, and he ends up with his mouthpiece out. He's never, you know, he's never down. He's just taking repeated shots and hard shots, and eventually, you know, you'll see me. I bring him to the doctor, but I had a little signal with the doctor, and you'll say. Turn, turn around and I wave my hands it's over and that was me a signal that I had I wasn't letting him take another shot in that fight as soon as I stopped it and went time I knew the fight was over and, and sometimes you got to do that for the fighter and you know it's it's important that someone is there that understands hey I'll take the heat I'll be the bad guy for this guy to be able to continue on in this career, if he wants.
1: Well, Buddy McGirt said it best. I'd rather have you mad at me for a couple of days or a month or two than you, yeah. than your family be mad at me for the rest of my life. Yeah. That's that that cuts you. That cuts real deep when you start talking about people in your corner and your family. That's why I think if your corner is not willing to do that for you, they should not be in your corner. That's one. Two is. I second I do blame the ref. I, because there should have been and I'm not saying like, like it's not a blame thing. It's I more understand of a re- it's a responsibility like you have talked about that you had. You you and I have have had plenty of conversations when we're on the road working Bellator shows about what you feel your responsibility is, and your responsibility is to make sure that the athlete is taken care of, that he is safe, that both athletes are safe. And and in the way you talk about it, you're very passionate about it. I actually really admire you about that. Don't please don't people don't don't let this it go to John's head if you guys repeat that to him. Okay. But it's just one of those things that I, I truly admire when you and I talk is that it's important for you to consider the fact that, like, hey, these guys, they're gonna live a life after after sports, after fighting, as an athlete. Yeah. And they need to understand that you're doing them a favor. And that was one thing that I always understood. I, I, I had talked about retirement when I was like 26, 27 in the UFC. I was like, or 25, whatever it was. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, like three more fights. I'm going to retire. I'm, I'm done. done with this. I'm, you know, whatever. I did it. I made it to the big time. You know, that was my conversation. I always knew that this was not my life. This, sure, this was my life for the moment. But when you're done at 35, 40, or however old I plan on being done, I, I had another 50 years to live. What are you going to do for those years? And you have to remember that as a fighter, as an athlete, as any athlete, pro athlete. When you're done playing your sport or competing at, at the highest level of doing what we're doing, your life goes on. And you need to remember that because whether you you have kids, you have a wife, you have kids, you have parents, you want to make sure that you can still live a life that you enjoy being around, be having fun with them and having to be able to talk and have a conversation and and those are things that are important in life, not the the fifteen years or the ten years or the even sometimes two or three years you spend in the sport that you think you've dedicated your life to. It's not as important as living the rest of your life with your family and the ones you love.
0: Uh, that's the truth. Yeah, but you can go back. They actually did a study, long ago, with uh, Olympic athletes, and they basically you know asked the question: If you were able to be given something that guaranteed you that you would win an Olympic gold medal, but that thing that you took to win that medal would end your life five years later. Would you take it? Seventy-five percent said yes. Because no one looks to the future. And you and we all think, you know, and, and I remember when I was, you know, twenty-five and thirty and competing, and it was hey, I'm invincible, nothing's gonna happen to me. And I actually thought, hell, I'm not going to live that long anyways. I'm never going to make 50 years of age, you know. That was me. It was, I'm not even worried about it. And then when you're at 49 and 50, you go, hey, I, I want to continue on here, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And it's, it's, it's a lot different when you're you're a young man and the way you look at life than when you've had some years to think about it and you actually think about what's what's important. What where is it that you really do need to center your life around is is it around this you know fighting persona or is it around you know what makes life what it is your family and other things well you took tough
1: one you took for myself i took for granted the christmases the thanksgivings the having the families around but now that i'm 40 you know 42 40 i don't even know 42 43 years old now that you're 42 years old mister now that i'm this old I look back and I look around when I'm at, at, at Christmas dinners and, and Thanksgivings and I'm like, this is what life is really about. This is the enjoyment yeah. of having these people around you that you took for granted when I was 21, 24, 28, 32. I took for granted those. Times. All I cared about, there was countless times where I didn't go to Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners because I had to train the next day. I remember John Fitch and I doing uh, assault bike sprints on, on Thanksgiving night. At ten o'clock or eight o'clock at night, while people should be eating dinner with their families, I was doing assault bike sprints for an hour straight with him. You know, on Thanksgiving, those are moments that I I, I always wish I could get back. I look back now, I'm like, what was I thinking? One day of rest is not going to kill you, you know what I mean? But it was in my mind that I had to do it. I had to do. And <clears throat> as you get older. Those are the things that you you the time with your family, the time with your kids, time with your uh your wife or your spouse or whatever it is. If you're a girl, you know, like those are all things that are important now. Like you said, when you turn fifty, you're like, man, I want to live a couple more years. When I was young, I thought the same thing you thought, and that doesn't yeah. it, it doesn't. It, I thought like I'm not gonna live to be like thirty five. I didn't think I was. I mean, I was getting Bleh. in trouble. I was in and out of jails. You know, I was fighting. I mean, like you know, the, people. If people don't know the history on I me, mean, I, I'm going to write a book one day and you guys can buy it. <laughs> but it's just one of those things like fighters don't look to that. Athletes don't look to that like you talked about with the, the poll that they took. They don't look to that stuff. And it's so important that you have corners that do that for you. They know about your relationship with your family. They know about your 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 wife or your kids or your your aunts and your uncles that help raise you and take care of you. They they they're look, I'm entrusting you with my life every time you corner me. That's how important this job is. No, you're not my friend cornering me. You're you're somebody that I'm entrusting you to take care of me and look over me. And make sure that I don't die out there, you know, and to throw the towel in. And that's important. I think in the long run, that's important because there's life after sports, no matter what fucking sport you play. There's life after sports. And you everyone, every athlete needs to remember that.
0: You know, I want to say one thing that there's one guy <laughs> out there, and I'll give it Trevor Whitman stopped Nate Marquardt when he was on the stool and wouldn't let him go back out. You know, God bless Trevor Whitman for that. But John Hackleman, you know, we were, you're were talking about the 30 for 30 with yes. you know, Chuck. John Hackleman did throw in the towel when Chuck fought Rampage the first time in Pride. Mm-hmm. Chuck, uh, John Hackleman was going to throw the towel in. You know, he told me that in a phone call when he fought him the second time in the UFC and lost his title. And just recently, John Hackleman threw in the towel in a fight in Bellator when he had a young fighter, Castle Williams, who was taking big shots. He threw the towel in to stop the fight. That's the kind of guy you know cares about his fighters yeah that's what makes john cat you know john hackleman who he is yeah so just i just want to give him the props because there are there are guys out there that will do it
1: well yeah i mean we saw it with buddy McGirt, and, the, and there's other coaches that are out there too that will do it there yeah. is but I, I want to show the significance of that it is important that is a corner you're if you're a fighter cornering your friend they're entrusting you with their life to take care of them if you're the coach cornering a friend They're entrusting themselves for entrusting you to take care of them, and that's how important it is. So, all right, so so let's switch gears because I'm getting a little depressed now. Yeah, (laughs) we're gonna start crying here. Let's talk about my my, some of my closest friends the uh, the whole board of the California State Athletic Commission. Them and I are like (laughs) them and I are like Uh this. That's how much I love these uh, these people. There's a lot of things I would like to say, but I'm going to let you go ahead and take the ropes on this big guy.
0: Oh, I don't <laughs> think I want these ropes, baby. God. I don't think I want them oh. at all. Well, yeah, there is uh, a couple things that ha- that is happening. They did just pass this 15% cutoff. If you weigh more than 15% of your weigh-in weight, the night of the fight when they weigh you in, they will not allow you to compete your fight will be canceled. And that's a that's a huge statement. There's a lot that goes with that and and the one thing to really consider is promotions. You know, Bellator goes to California probably more than anybody. Mm-hmm. All right? And promotions now are going to have to look and say, "Ooh, am I going to bring my show to California where after I have you know, put together this card, marketed it, done everything, I could lose all these fights. I could lose my main event based upon a percentage of weight that is now unacceptable to, due to their guidelines. They might lose a lot of fights. You know, California does more fights than any state by far. It isn't even close. Boxing and MMA. There is no state that comes close to how many fights are put on in the state of California and you're wondering at least I'm wondering is this ne- is this regulation now going to alter that and are the big promotions the UFC and Bellator now going to start to go eh, we might want to step back from California because this might not be good for us we, we could lose a lot of fights and then piss off a lot of fans
1: this is big wigs trying to impose their will and set standards <laughs> to let other people let them know, hey, we have control. We have the most fights basically in the United States, and I want to make sure that everyone follows our guidelines and our rules. The problem is, is that this state is in such debt, as you everyone knows, is that now they've just decided to lose more money instead of make more money by putting it more very possibly could be to put more regulations in there. You can pretty much, I would say, at the highest level, probably could maybe cut in half how many times the UFC comes here in a year. And I would say you, for sure, uh, Bellator will probably make a little bit of a cutback. Um, <clears throat> you know, maybe not come to San Jose much, maybe only go to L.A. one time a year, maybe stay in San Jose one time instead of three times. You know, San Diego hasn't been on the market lately, like whatever, Temecula. Is Temecula, though... California or Commission or is that
0: Yeah, Temecula the Pechanga Casino doesn't utilize uh, their sovereignty as far as a tribal commission mm-hmm. and they employ the California State Athletic Commission to come cover their events. So Got it.
1: Um, my question is, so does it mean the fight is off or does it mean that they can pay a fine and the fighter can still pay? Still fight?
0: Well, the last language that I saw and heard was they, they can they can find the fighter or they can cancel the fight completely. It doesn't say that there is a a shall or this will occur. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a choice
1: because I, I look if they gain fifteen percent, if they let's just say they gained sixteen percent, I would assume that it would be a fine. If they gained twenty percent, then look, the fight's off. I, there's, I would imagine there should be some sort of regular, like some, you've already you regulated. Mean, you
0: mean there should be some gray area between black and white since yeah. black and white is doesn't work?
1: Yeah, black <laughs> Yeah, black and white is very hard to, it's very hard. That's going to make the promotion stay out. If you're going to give yeah. like, hey, it's a 10% fine if you're 1% over. It's a 20% fine if you're 20% or, you know, uh yeah, uh 16% or so. Every 1% over, it's another 10% until you hit, say, like 40, 50% then you're like, look, it's done. If you can't stay within a 20% range, with that five, that 15 to 20% should be fines. When you get to 20%, the fight's off. I guess that gives the fighters a little bit more of an understanding because majority of the time, if they gain the weight, what you don't want, this is my concern, what you don't want is the fighters cutting weight the day of the fight. I, now, I totally understand that. That's the shitty part. And yeah. the only other thing that I can possibly truly possibly think of is implementing more weight classes causing the fighters to fight more in their, and once well, there and 165 is already there
0: there already are those weight classes mm-hmm. it's the fact that it's not the state athletic commission that is holding people back from those weight classes they've implemented those weight classes it's the promotions themselves that yeah. are saying oh we're not going to use those now, Bellator uses a lot of what they'll call contracted weights, yep. which are utilizing those weight classes. We, you know, They use 165. They use 175. They've used 195. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, it's there, and it's just a matter, are they going to finally say, all right, we're going to actually have that as a division? Mm-hmm. You know? oh, no.
1: well, I don't know. Well, what I like is that some fighters have already taken it, um, out of the commission's hands and out of the promotions hands and they've made deals with each other uh Ryan scope and Peter queeley Instagrammed each other slid into each other's DMs and said hey <laughs> they said hey I'm 170 you're 169 why don't we just fight it that way and not cut weight I mean I, yeah. thought, I thought that was brilliant you know well it, it is but
0: but see they're not they're, they're not changing you're saying that they're doing it on their own they're not because they're saying okay we're just going to fight welterweight, yeah. which is fine. I have yeah. no problem with it. That's great, mm-hmm. but it's it, that's not a different weight class. They're not implementing that one sixty five. You know, guys like you know Ben Askren have been you know trying to pump you know for that one sixty five pound weight yeah. class. Uh, you know, in in Bellator, you talk about you know you in the European series, you know BDK. Uh, Big Daddy Kiefer, he yeah. wants that 165 cuz he fits perfectly. He can't do 155. <clears throat> he kills himself yep. to get to 155 and he knows that 170, eh, those guys are a little bit big. He would love to have that 165 and I'd love to see it for him, but you know, those weight classes are there. It's just a matter of does a promotion want to use them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm a little bit of a homer. Because the 160, 155, fifty five, one sixty five, one seventy five makes sense. Then you have ten percent. You have ten weight class, or you have uh, ten pounds between every weight class all the way up to one eighty five. Then it jumps back up to fifteen when you get to two hundred five. And I'm okay with that. You want to know why I'm okay with that? Because the talent at one eighty five to two hundred five already sucks. Okay, and that's why oh. <laughs> I'm gonna continue to say that just because I think the 55 Damn. pound division is so stacked, you can make two really good weight classes and you have top level fights. And I'll continue to say that. Can you imagine? Because Connor, you have Connor, you've got obviously Khabib, you've got Islam Makachev, all those guys, they all cut from, you know, 180, one, sometimes more, sometimes less. But they cut a lot of weight. Having that 65 pound weight class would mean less cut for them, and we'd have the potential of having more multiple weight class champions. And every time you have champions, there'd be less interim titles for people to say, like. Oh, that's oh, let me the way find I look at it. I hate the interim title. Yeah, it's, it's a like, waste.
0: Everyone asks me all the time. It's like, I didn't, it's just it's it's a paper title. It's
1: nothing. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. <clears throat> you sure? You should ask Colby Covington. His means a lot to him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah well we'll see what
0: happens with colby when he fights Usman. Usman.
1: look um i i originally when we had met in california we met at that at that uh ufc bellator everyone was there bellator sent me down and said hey we want you to sit in the meeting i was there I, you were there right yep you were there uh forrest yeah. griffin was there we were all there and and I, I was I, I had originally proposed I said, look, if you implement the 165 and you had weight classes every 10 pounds, you just can't exceed the next weight class above. So then it's even across the board versus 15 pounds, 15 pounds, 15 pounds. You know what I mean? Like in those weight classes, if you had them every 10 pounds, you just can't exceed the weight class above. That would f- put the fighters in a position to just everyone's equal. The guy at 125. Ah,
0: but see, you're, you're saying that and you're giving <laughs> me that whole line of, oh, you just can't go into the next weight class above. Yeah. Yeah. At 10 pounds, that's even less than the 15%. If you're is. worried about guys cutting yep. with the 15%, tell me they wouldn't be cutting the day of the fight for that, oh, you can't go into the next weight class.
1: But there's less weight for them to cut to make their weight. That's what my point is. If everyone's in that 10-pound weight class, there's less weight for them to cut to get there, so the weight it's for them to put on is not as much. Do you understand? Like, do you, Are you understanding what I'm saying?
0: I understand exactly what you're saying. I'm just saying I do know there are guys out there that will think I can gain an advantage here Yeah. and I am going to bring myself this all the way down here and I'm going to weigh in at this lighter weight mm-hmm. and then I'll just gain a little bit. I'm not going to really rehydrate and then I'll wait all the way to the point of the, the night of the fight, walk in there, I'll weigh in and then I'm just going to slug down stuff and you're going it's going to be a disaster for
1: you. But you know they're going to try it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It depends. With this day and age with the athletes, with everyone having their nutritionist, a lot of people have nutritionists. That Lockhart and Leith, they, they work with a ton of fighters. And and they basically, I think, would talk to these athletes and say, look, you probably shouldn't do it this way. You should probably fight the weight class above. My, my, my conversations with Dan Leith, who's one of the owners, is to say like he said like yeah, I think all the huge weight cuts, he's always talked about that yeah, it's kind of bad, but I was never the someone that cut that much weight. So I never had to really deal with it. But if there was a weight class of 65, I would have taken that all day long. I probably would have actually lifted a little <laughs> I would have lifted a little bit more, put on like three or four pounds, and then just cut because I still would have been within the range of 165 and not to exceed 175 would have been perfect. You know, but I mean, like for me, I was always cutting from 170, 169 to 171. I was always in that weight class and I would always just cut down, you know, to uh, 55. No problem. Not, a, you know, it sucked. It always does suck because cutting weight sucks. But, you know, you, you understand what I'm saying. Oh, uh, yeah, it sucks. My take on it is that you'll never know until you try. And let's try this out. Let's see what they do. I would like that little bit of a gray area for the guys, so the fight's just not off. Because then you end up with a problem with, like, let's just say the scales off by a pound, and the guy was on, and now he's not. And now is there a fine, or is the fight just fucking off? That's not. You're talking about people's livelihoods and their family, and their, their, their kids getting fed. Those are the things that concern me. Now, if oh, you're yeah. now, if you're like an Anthony Johnson, who's my boy, by the way, and and I like to use <laughs> AJ as a, a, a thing, who comes in six and six and seven and eight pounds over. No, dude. Sorry, man. If you're six and seven percent over, I'm um, no, 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 thanks. No, nope. <laughs> you deserve for the fight to be canceled. That means you didn't do any of your shit during the camp to get your weight down. So you never yeah. know
0: what he did, man. You know yeah. that's the that's the whole point of AJ. But yeah. yeah, yeah. The other the other part of California State Athletic Commission. Did you happen to see that Aspen Ladd tried to get her fight with? Jermaine Durandamy overturned because she said there was gender bias by Herb Dean as the referee.
1: Wow. Why why was there gender bias? Explain to me what the situation was.
0: Well, supposedly they went and said that, uh, they went and looked and (coughs) said that Herb allows male fighters to go farther than he does women fighters. And I'm like, no, he doesn't. Yeah, you know, he, he goes based upon what he sees. And if you're, you know, if you're Aspen Lad <laughs> and you get hit with a right hand from Jermaine that spins you around and puts you down on your hands and knees, and you don't move from that position, you're probably telling Herb, "Hey, she just fucked me up. Yeah. <laughs> I need some help here." Yeah, very. You know, and I'm looking. I'm like, I, I was very glad to see they didn't overturn it, but. It was really funny if you look at it you know, really it's really not funny. you talk about gender separation there was there are three male commissioners voting and there was two females. The two females voted for Aspen Lad. The three males said no and that's what took it. Yeah, they almost overturned that fight and and I look at it and go, Okay, do you realize what you're doing to another female fighter in Jermaine Duranmy, who went out and did exactly what she was supposed to do? She didn't foul anybody. She didn't do anything wrong. She went out and landed a beautiful right hand that knocked her opponents to her knees. And you're going to take a win away
1: from her? Is this it just didn't make sense? Is to this me. California State Athletic Commission? Yes, oh.
0: these are the people that didn't win.
1: Two of them, none of them were going to overturn yours. It wouldn't have mattered if it was a foul or not. They wasn't. They weren't going to overturn it. And that's the. This is my whole point. I'm looking at yours, and yours was based
0: upon what can be considered, and it was unintentional, but Mm -hmm. it's a foul. I know. And this, there was no foul in this, and two, the two women
1: said, "Yeah, we think this should be overturned." Those two women. Uh, absolutely disgusting. <laughs> that- I, 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 well, <laughs> it's, I, feel,
0: I feel really bad for Herb that, you know, he had to go, you know, through that, and he actually had to, he stood there and said, I, I, I'm not gender biased. Yeah. And, you know, and Herb's got no freaking, he doesn't care. He, he doesn't have any racial at all, at all in him. He's one of the nicest guys there is. Yeah. And to sit there and, and actually have to say, I don't have a gender bias, I looked at that and I said, man, that's just ridiculous that he, that he actually had to do that.
1: Yeah. Those those two commission girls that are that were on the women that were on there, they, were they the same that were on when I was there? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um Yeah. <laughs> what? Talk to me ladies, Daddy. ladies and gentlemen, they should not be serving. They should not be on the ladies board. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, yeah, they should <laughs> not be on the board. They should not be on the board at all. One of them asked me why we were there on on the case before mine, said, "What's this new thing that they're doing with the open hands?" And they're striking, but there's no close fists, or gloves. What's this new thing? I said, oh, Pankration. I don't think it's very new. Why are you... <laughs> well, <why> are, <laughs> it's only new
0: if you want to go before Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'm just like...
1: <laughs> when she said that, I was like, great. These are the people that are about to decide my fate right now. This is great. Lovely. So, um, look... Uh, let's, let's end this whole thing on a real good note. A happy note. Obviously, we, please. everyone should know we work for Bellator as analysts, Um yep. And it was very nice to see several of our fighters in the top 25 of the best fighters that are under 25 years old. And who was number one? Go ahead. I'm going to let you drum roll, please. Go ahead,
0: Ian.
1: AJ McKee, <laughs> the mercenary. It was awesome. So it was,
0: and and as well deserved. You know, you got to look. I give ESPN a lot of credit because they didn't have any kind of, you know, there wasn't that whole. Well, the UFC is who we cover. They were honest about it, and they, wow. you know, they made him the number one, and they should have. Wow. There's, there's no doubt. You know, he is the best under twenty five fighter there is and he might be getting close to one of the best fighters on the planet
1: um, I didn't see the rest of the list can you tell me I know there was a couple other Bellator guys on it can you tell me who they were
0: um, I think uh, as far as Bellator guys on it I'm trying to think of who it was uh, Pico was actually on there Aaron Pico was on that list um, God, who else was Gallagher Ryan on there?
1: there James Gallagher
0: James Gallagher was on there you're right he was on there also <laughs> Um, I think number two was uh, Sh- Sugar Shane from uh, Arizona. Oh, yeah, with yeah, the yeah. UFC. Sean O'Malley.
1: Sean-, Sean O'Malley. Yeah. Yeah. I like him.
2: Oh, he's fun. Wait, go ahead. Speak into the mic, dude. Do be, be a producer. Come on, Dave. Tell Talk us, to Dave. us, uh, Number three was Edmund Shabazian. I don't Shabazian. Know he's, he, Edmund Shabazian is a young kid out of here in Glendale,
0: up in Glendale, California. Mm-hmm. And... He is a stud. Stud on the ground and he's been having good hands so that's a good pick.
2: Uh tied for number 4 is Nazra Hakparast and Aspen Lad. Hakparast. Yeah. And Aspen Lad. And who? Aspen Lad? Yeah. Okay. All right. Keep going. And then your number uh number 6 is uh Macy Barber.
0: Macy Barber? Yep. Female from U- in the UFC. Uh, She's a good
2: young fighter but
0: we'll have to see on that one.
2: Number seven is Jimmy Crew. Jimmy Crew. CRUTE. 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 Um,
1: Crute. He
0: yeah, he's good. Tough. I, I,
1: thought you, I thought you said Groot. Like the. <laughs> <laughs> like the
2: yeah, Groot. Groot. It's like a
1: tree. Keep going. Come on.
2: Uh, Song Yadong is. Um,
1: Song Yadong. That's a cool
2: name. Is uh, number eight. Okay. And Keep. then number nine is James Gallagher. Your number nine is Gallagher. And okay. number ten is Ricardo Ramos. Okay. Um number eleven is Michael a Polish guy. Or maybe Russian. Uh yeah. hmm. um, UFC guy. Uh number twelve is Jillian Robertson. Uh UFC women's flyweight. Uh number thirteen is Aaron Pico. Thirteen. Uh number fourteen is Angela Lee. Angela Lee. So you know what? She should have been higher. I like her. And dude, she is
0: on the ground, she's fun to watch.
1: Yeah. I think she probably she probably, probably would have got higher had she just not lost to Michelle Nicolini, I think yeah. in, in the MMA yeah. in, in, in MMA. That was probably the only yeah. thing. But uh but she she's definitely fun to watch. I like her.
2: Yep. Um fifteen is Ismail Nerdiev, UFC guy. Um sixteen is Jack Shore, who's also a UFC guy. Seventeen is Montana De La Rosa, uh, also a UFC guy. Uh, Eighteen is Pedro Cavallo. Yeah, he's, he's, t- he's under twenty. Hey, he's under twenty-five you know. years old. Yeah, he's, he turns twenty-five in August. Yeah, he's good. He's God. Tw- t- he, t- he looks twenty-four like when he fought. He, <laughs> he, looks, he looks like, like he's thirty-something
1: 30 years old, man. <laughs> I love you, Pedro, but bro, you look old, him. man. Just you just got to shave that head down, man. Dude, he he's yeah. tough, and you were right. Oh, when You he's told good. me about him. I was like, ah, oh. and, then, and then when he fought Campos in uh, in uh, the UK, I was like, eh, Campos didn't look himself. I'm not ready to get. I'm not ready to get high on him. But then when he fought Samson City, I was like, oh shit, you are good. You're good. I told you, he's the kid's good. So we got Pedro Cavallo. we've got Aaron Pico, James Gallagher, and AJ McKee. So far, that's yep. four guys. Keep going. Yep. Is that uh, all is that all nine, of them?
2: Uh, no there's more. Uh number 19 is Umar Nomagomedov, who's a UFC guy, uh cousin of Khabib. Yeah. Uh 20 Umar, is Ti- Umar. 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 Yeah, yeah,
1: he's fucking good. I train with him. He he's- said Umar, but he
0: said it was a Scottish accent, sounded Umar. different. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um 20 is Thiago Moises. Uh he's a uh, Dana White contender serious. Yeah. Um 21 is Jalen Turner, who's a UFC guy. Uh, 22 is Christian Lee, who's a one championship guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20—that's 20...
1: Angela Lee's brother. Yep. Okay. Uh,
2: 23 is Sabina Mazo, who's a UFC person.
0: Sabina Mazo is very good. Uh, she she uh she's uh, from Colombia. She actually fought uh, Alejandro Lara and beat Lara, gave Lara her first loss, and Sab- Mazo was undefeated up until like about a couple months ago. She got mm-hmm. beat.
2: Uh, twenty-four Sage Northcutt, and okay. uh, twenty-five is Armin Sarukian. Sarukian, and that's your list.
1: So uh, the mm-hmm. guy, the guy that I, I had, I, I obviously I'm fresh off of it. So uh, the reason why I'm gonna throw him out there is Nor Norbert Noviny Jr. I, oh yeah, he's 19. He should have been on that 19, list. Nineteen years, twenty years old. He just turned twenty years old. Uh, great performance against Flurry, and um. Yeah, he should have been on that list. Yep, those are the Absolutely guys. Those are the guys that I've I've seen in Bellator. That I think, yeah, the Lee brother and sister, Angela Lee, and then the other Lee, her brother. They are very entertaining. They're both good fighters. They're both champions, I believe. At one, one is a is a promotion over in Asia. So um, yeah, I think I think um, they, I think the list is pretty good, man. They've got what That's was the what was the girl's name that fought Cyborg after Cyborg had lost to. Amanda Nunez.
0: Oh, Spencer. Felicia. Felicia Spencer. Felicia. Is she? Is she over
1: twenty five? I she think was, she is twenty six years old. She's tough.
0: Yeah, I she's t- good. I
1: was very impressed with her. um oh, and her performance. I was so impressed
0: with just her grittiness. You know, if you know about her and you watched her, she's got a very good ground game. Yeah, she is good on the ground. She's heavy on top. You know, she was the Invicta champion. She's she is. Yeah, it's 28. Okay. Okay. She's the real deal. She's going to be there for a while. As long as I'm not sure if the UFC is going to continue with a featherweight division because she cannot make Bantamweight. She'll never make it.
1: And I'm but, excited to see her in Bellator. Oh, yeah.
0: I would love to see that because she's good. She's fun to watch.
1: Yeah. Like, those are the kind of girls I'd like to see Julia Bud face. You know, the girl that comes forward, tries to press the action, like, young, but still, like, you know what? Pfft. I got nothing to lose. This is my title to lose. Like when she fought Cyborg, I thought she was going to be afraid of her. She wasn't afraid of her, man. She tried to Not get after all. her. I loved. I, know, I actually walked away from that fight being thoroughly impressed with her performance and just the her phenom. Yes, I was excited. For, I was really. And I had the, I had the fight two to one, but you said it was a fight, uh, three zero fight, three rounds, and I had it two to one. But you know, I, right. I can see it the other way too. Um, <clears throat> <laughs>
0: Regardless. You get so
1: impressed with someone
0: that yeah. you you start to everything they do is yep. better. Yeah,
1: it was. Yep. It was. I think but, I, yeah, that possibly is good. that possibly could have happened. Yeah. Um, but I, I do want to tip my hat to ESPN, ESPN, because everyone knows that ESPN and UFC are together, uh, basically in bed together. But they this was a great. This was great. it was good to see that they're giving other organizations. Um, the, you know, the Lee family, uh, you know, obviously our fighters AJ McKee, you know, um, James Gallagher, Aaron Pico, uh, who am I missing? Hey. Pedro, Pedro Cavallo. God, I can't even think of it because he doesn't look like he's 25 years old. <laughs> no, good he's ahead, the last man. guy you think is, he's the last guy, he's 25. I know. Uh, all right, well, hey, that I think that today is our show, you guys. That sounds good. All right, my man. And then we're going to try to drop another one before uh, before we leave to Connecticut. Next week, Connecticut. Sounds good. Bellator Perfect. next week. Two shows back-to-back Friday, Saturday night. Do not miss it. Frank Mir, Roy Nelson, and, of course, the Welterweight Grand Prix. I cannot wait for one that One million fight. dollars Roland, on the line. Yep. Le Shem <laughs> Le Shem Dois. Wa. I want to say... I, I can't le Shem Dois. Le Shem Anyways, 50 cents, giving a million dollars to the winner of the Welterweight Grand Prix, World Grand Prix Tournament. That's Rory McDonald and Douglas Lima. I cannot wait to see that rematch. I'm That's serious. Rematch. I cannot fucking wait. I want to see if Lima has mentally switched the gear and been like, you know what? I deserve to be in here. That's my title. I'm getting it back. And if Rory is... Um, I want to see that. I want to see if Rory goes and has... You
0: know, one of the things I, I loved about Rory as far as breaking guys down and taking away certain things that they're good at, he's very good at that. Can he do that with
1: Douglas Lima and that low calf kick? Well, I believe that he needs to sit down and talk to Jesus first, and when he does, he will come back, and I'm sure he will have <laughs> some sort of remedy of to what he needs to do. Yep. That's <laughs> gonna, what it takes. I'm, I'm going to get, I, I I'm a gonna get tore used, up on YouTube for that. that
0: I had a friend that used to say one of my favorite lines. He would just look and go, Sweet bald headed baby Jesus. So,
1: nothing wrong with that. Uh, all right, you guys. Hey, thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you guys hit the subscribe button on YouTube. Hit the thumbs up. When you hit the thumbs up, that shares our videos to everyone. We truly appreciate it. Please, even if you guys don't subscribe, at least take our videos, copy the link, and share Why those. would you not subscribe? I know, but those are the, you know, it's a commitment thing. People have commitment issues that's what they have um, commitment issues if you guys can't, like just copy the link and send it to your friends maybe your friends will like us more than you do and they'll hit the subscribe <laughs> button okay so uh great show man this was great i'm glad we, you were able to get everything off your chest that you need to get off your chest today <laughs> uh, all my right, like, man. right first, first the last show now this one uh, yeah. talk to you later brother all right my man i'll talk to you later man great show all talk right, to bye. you soon bye